Fire Pit Creative Group presents Aftermath, Episode 3, Lonesome Heroes. Between 2057 and 2069, the people of Earth faced many trials. Scarcity of resources, plagues, poverty, famine, and despair. The superpowers of the Earth fell into factions, each armed with its own doomsday arsenal. Diplomacy failed, and civilization came to an end. Not with a whimper, but with a bang. General Benjamin Castro, the Israeli government's special envoy to the United Nations, was relocated from the UN headquarters in New York City to an underground base. During transport, General Castro was knocked unconscious and preserved in cryostasis. The general awoke 43 years later, in a subterranean society built by survivors of the United Nations. Revived by the Phoenix Project, General Castro was introduced to Phoenix law enforcement officer Major Leonard McGillicuddy and Professor John Bath. If they could work together, Castro, Cuddy, and Bath would lead the first expedition to the Earth's surface. Aided by Project Administrator Danielle Devenu, Chief Surgeon Miro Ganaya, and Engineer Donna Chang, their mission was to determine what life still existed on the world above and if the survivors in the underground Phoenix Project could return. Danielle Devenu braced herself between two antiquated computer consoles, one piled on top of the other. Chang, Devenu said, as she gazed at a blurry monitor overhead. Try it one more time. Donna Chang, the Phoenix Project's most talented physicist and engineer, was hunched over, buried in a sea of winding wires, steel, and polymer machinery. We have full bandwidth, Chang replied. The green tooth uplink is unbroken. Devenu looked over her shoulder at Miral Ganaya, the Surgeon General and Chief Administrator of the Phoenix Project's hospital. The physician was monitoring the cocoon-like assembly of chemical-filled machines, tubes, and cables before her. Dr. Ganaya, Devenu prompted. The doctor checked the vital readouts before her. Neurotransmitter is strong, Ganaya said. General Castro is connected. No resistance. Good. And what about his lower extremities, Devenu asked. She had hoped, like the others, that the damage to the elderly general's legs could be reversed. I'm sorry, Ganaya replied. She took the general's condition personal. It was her fault, her failure. There's no change, she said, then quickly added, but the general's paralysis won't affect anything while he's connected. As long as the uplink is established and strong, he's fully functional. Devenu turned to face Chang, who was crawling out of the hollow of machines and makeshift devices. I concur, Chang said. In fact, if we are able to amplify the signal and filter through any distortion, the entire team will be faster, stronger, and resistant to the elements. Devenu whipped her silky blonde hair over her shoulder. 
we don't have to tell them that, do we? She thought out loud. Kanaya looked down at the long machine the team was referring to as a coffin, the device in which General Castro lay. If Kanaya and Chang were successful, Castro and his team would lay in the coffins and transmit their consciousness and motor control into robot bodies on the surface of the Earth. They could explore the ravaged planet without the limitations of human biology. They'll figure it out soon enough, Kanaya told Debenu. Danielle paced. Hmm. Well, given their psychiatric profiles, the last thing we want is Major McGillicuddy and Dr. Bath going rogue. A week earlier, at the instruction of the Shadow Council, Debenu gathered Dr. Ganaya and Chang together in the laboratory. After removing General Castro from cryostasis, they summoned law enforcement major Leonard McGillicuddy and the Academy's most accomplished professor, Dr. John Bath. To the best of her ability, Devenu laid out the mission for which they were chosen. Unfortunately, the assignment already had its traps and snares. Castro was disabled. Bath, sarcastic, reluctant, and suspicious. Only the law enforcement officer, Cuddy, seemed enthusiastic about the mission. But he too had his reservations, primarily about working with Dr. Bath. Over the past week, Devenu used her well-honed diplomatic skills to encourage the others. She persuaded Bath it was worth the risk to be the first to explore the surface, and she reinforced Cuddy's enthusiasm while limiting his proximity to Dr. Bath. Devenu was glad that General Castro was the team leader. He was a stabilizing force. His acceptance of the situation, including the loss of his legs, came quickly. It was obvious he was a talented leader. When Castro, Cuddy, and Bath were together for briefings or physical training, the general took charge. Cuddy and Bath accepted, even welcomed, the general's authority. All right, I've got to report back to the Shadow Council, Devenu said. Go ahead and bring General Castro back and prep the coffins for three. Being chosen for the assignment was an honor for Major McGillicuddy, but it wasn't without its problems. To avoid alerting other citizens in the Phoenix Project of what was going on in the lab, everything about the proposed mission had to be kept strictly confidential. That meant business as usual. So, Cuddy divided his time between long patrols and training in the lab. When he wasn't struggling to master the technology he would be using to explore the surface, he patrolled the Phoenix Project. Like every other Phoenix law enforcement officer, Cuddy responded to ordinance violations and allegations of violence. He spent time at headquarters writing reports, or acting as dispatcher to his comrades who patrolled the lower living quarters. At the end of his last shift, Cuddy was heading to the lab when his senior officer, Colonel Dana Marsh, caught up with him. Cuddy, Marsh said, I thought I'd find you here. Colonel Marsh? Cuddy nodded a greeting. A week earlier, when he was chosen for the secret assignment, the project administrator, Danielle Devenu, said something about his psychological profile, that the central processor in the Shadow Council believed he was attracted to Colonel Marsh, the woman who adopted him after his parents died, and recruited him into the project's law enforcement division. Cuddy trusted the central processor to make good decisions, and he believed the Shadow Council did what was in the best interests of the population. 
it was only logical that they needed intelligence information on citizens. He shouldn't have been surprised that included him. But for some reason, he was. Cuddy was used to concealing and controlling his feelings. Having them dissected in the open was irritating. Then again, he thought, he wasn't really attracted to Colonel Marsh, was he? And if he wasn't, then... Maybe the central processor was wrong. Fallible. Maybe the Shadow Council made mistakes. You just finished your patrol? Colonel Marsh asked, looking at Cuddy sideways, searching. Uh, yes ma'am, all clear, Cuddy said, clearing his voice. Just some black market investigations. Allegations of weaponsmithing, some knockoff amphetamines. Turned out to be nothing. Just neighbors being neighbors, said Colonel Marsh. Another day in paradise. Cuddy flashed a crooked smile. He knew the colonel could tell he was distracted. I'll take care of the paperwork, she said. Thanks. What about you? Cuddy asked. Small talk. The colonel motioned for Cuddy to continue walking. That's not like you, Major. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just tired, Cuddy said. Really? Colonel Marsh motioned down the winding ramp that led to the laboratory. You know I'm not supposed to talk about it, Cuddy replied. I'm not testing you, Cuddy, Marsh said. Besides, who do you think recommended you for it anyway? Cuddy had spoken with the colonel about going to the surface. A week later, he learned he was selected for the assignment, not her. Cuddy originally thought the colonel would be the one chosen to lead the mission. She had seniority, and she was liked by authority figures and the population of the Phoenix Project much better than him. It only made sense. Then, Major McGillicuddy met General Castro and Dr. Bath, and it became clear to him. The computer and Shadow Council didn't choose him to lead the mission. He was chosen to protect Castro and Bath. Don't look so surprised, Marsh insisted. Cuddy shifted his weight. Well... I thought the Shadow Council... He paused, interrupting himself. This wasn't what he really wanted to talk about. He wanted information he hadn't been provided yet. He wanted something Dr. Bath didn't know. What do you know about the other team members? Cuddy asked. Ganaya and Chang. Marsh nodded. They're like all of us. Descendants of the United Nations evacuation. Miral Ganaya is the chief administrator of the clinic. She's the daughter of the Iranian ambassador to the UN. Wait, Cuddy asked sharply, raising his voice. She's the daughter of Adnan Ganaya? You mean that asshole who stalled the peace process before the attacks on New York? Colonel Marsh nodded. He was also a longtime enemy of the state of Israel and its allies. He was on numerous hit lists. What the hell? It's ancient history, Cuddy. Marsh shook her head as if to reassure her subordinate. Adnan Ganaya died in the attack, but his wife survived. She was one of the first members of the original Ad Hoc Shadow Council. Right, Cuddy said. And Chang? Colonel Marsh let out a long sigh. Well, I know less about her, but our intel shows she's a technologist, a physicist, and an engineer. She wasn't educated at the academy. She was homeschooled and is a self-trained prodigy. Cuddy groaned. You may want to check the intel again, Colonel. From what I've seen, she ain't no prodigy. What do you mean? asked Marsh. 
Cuddy stopped walking for a moment. He gauged how much he could tell his commander without betraying the mission. He was loyal to her, and knew he could trust her, but he wanted to prove that the Shadow Council could trust him. Well, Cuddy said, General, uh, I mean, the leader of the mission, when they thought him from cryostasis, they paralyzed him below the waist, as if being his age and waking up to this isn't enough. That's unfortunate, Colonel Marsh smiled knowingly. So what do you think about General Castro? Cuddy looked surprised. He lowered his voice. You... you know about General Castro? Of course. <laughs> but it's not like I could tell you. Cuddy shrugged. As a man of action, so much of this, the secrets, the slow drip of information, was new to him. I've heard so much about him. Cuddy was enthusiastic when speaking about the general. From textbooks and manuals, it's hard to separate the myth from the man. Sure, Marsh nodded. And what about your other teammate? Cuddy breathed hard. His first interaction with Dr. Bath didn't go well. During their first briefing as a team in the lab, Cuddy found himself throwing Bath to the floor, insisting that they settle their differences physically. Cuddy was unimpressed and annoyed that Bath remained sarcastic and selfish after their altercation. But he couldn't help feeling a little respect for the doctor. Bath held his ground. He wasn't intimidated. He's a typical egghead from the academy. Cuddy spoke nonchalantly but considered his words carefully. Actually, he's worse than the typical egghead. General Castro and the team liaison, Devenu, they're convinced we need him. I'm not sold. He's a coward. Colonel Marsh stepped in front of her protege. Don't underestimate Dr. Bath, Cuddy. He's the heir apparent to Dean Rand. For all intents and purposes, John Bath is the Academy. And he's connected. Just like I recommended you, someone recommended Dr. Bath. Cuddy looked down at his superior officer. You mean the computer, he said, slowly. I mean the Shadow Council, Marsh said. I know it seems like they don't make a decision without consulting the central processor, but there are those on the council who have a way of gaining consensus. Cuddy nodded. Well, the way Bath talks, it sounds like he opposes the council. Everything we've been taught and everything they stand for. I get the feeling he's... What? Marsh asked. Cuddy lowered his voice again. He glanced over his shoulder at a pinhole security camera. I get the feeling, Cuddy said, that Bath is connected to the dissidents. Colonel Marsh nodded slowly. She placed a hand on Cuddy's shoulder, reassuring him. More reason for you to keep an eye on him, then. They walked in silence for a few moments. Cuddy and Marsh rounded a corner near the laboratory's vault doors. There were no citizens nearby. This area was off-limits. Wait, Cuddy said. Dana... Are you trying to tell me something? Marsh turned as if to leave Cuddy there and head the opposite direction. I'm just looking out for you, Major. Since your family passed away, I've... Well, I can't honestly say I've been like a mother. Hell, I don't even know what that's supposed to be like. I'm not... The central processor didn't choose that life for me. I guess the older I get, or the closer I get to putting down my badge... I don't want to believe that this is all there ever was, you know? Just a career. 
Cuddy instinctively wanted to place his hand on Colonel Marsh's shoulder, to comfort the older woman in some way. Then he resisted. He thought about what Devenu had said, what the Central Processor and the Shadow Council supposedly knew, the idea that he might have feelings for the Colonel that went beyond a familial or professional sense of duty. It bothered him. Listen, Cuddy stood firm, then took a step back. I'm sorry, Dana. I, I'm supposed to head down there now. Cuddy craned his head towards the lab doors. First tour of the surface, Marsh grinned. It was obvious she was happy for Cuddy. She was proud of him. Cuddy returned the smile. You know much more than you're letting on. Hey, Colonel Marsh waved. It's me. Who do you think you're kidding? Besides, we're both miserable down here. Someday I'm going to recommend a replacement to the computer in the council. You may as well be my successor. You've certainly earned it, but... I've always wanted... more for you, Cuddy. More than this. Cuddy nodded, then turned to head for the laboratory. Colonel? Cuddy turned back to watch Colonel Marsh walking up the ramp. If you did know who was behind this whole plan, who was on the council, would you tell me? No. Marsh shook her head, her thick, dark eyebrows angled down. Of course not. Inside the cluttered laboratory, Ganaya examined Dr. Bath. General Castro sat in a modified wheelchair nearby. While it was the general's leadership skills and the doctor's hyper-educated mind the Shadow Council was most interested in, it was Ganaya's job to ensure they were as physically fit as possible to undertake the mission ahead. Please roll up your sleeve, doctor, Ganaya said. Bath did as he was instructed. He turned to the general. Where's the major? Cuddy, Castro corrected Bath. What's that? Castro moved a remote control. His wheelchair inched forward almost elegantly. A sign Chang's work to improve his mobility was successful. The Major prefers to be called Cuddy, Castro said. Oh, Bath replied. Right. He hadn't forgotten Major McGillicuddy's name preference, nor had he forgiven the law enforcement officer for thrashing him. Bath knew there was something inherently defiant within himself. His roommate and longtime friend, Mike Helms, called it the Worm. Bath rejected the notion his tendency towards pure anarchism was a hereditary trait passed on from his parents, or that he was rebelling against their memories in some way. No, that was all nonsense. For Bath, there was cold, objective truth, and from his observations, Phoenix Law Division officers like Major Leonard McGillicuddy were part of the problem. Their authoritarian absolutism, however controlled by the Central Processor and the Shadow Council, led to diminished liberty increased anxiety, a lack of community, and the loss of individual identity. Danielle Devenu thought she convinced Bath to accept the Shadow Council's decisions, to join the exploratory mission to the surface. In reality, Dr. Bath convinced himself this was his opportunity to observe firsthand how the Central Processor, the Shadow Council, and their lackeys operated. He would lend his talents to the mission, even pretend to be a willing subordinate but he would use the information he gained for his own purposes. No need for alarm, Dr. Ganaya said, as she depressed the plunger on a syringe. Ow! 
Bath flinched. It's just diazepam, doctor, Ganiah reassured him. Bath watched the liquid slide down the tube into the needle. It felt cool in his arm. There we go, Ganiah said, retracting the syringe. This will relax you and smooth your transition from the laboratory to the simulacrum. No worries. Bath squeezed his bicep. No worries. He turned to Castro and mocked Dr. Ganiah. She's not the one who has to have their mind transferred into a robot. The vault doors behind General Castro and Dr. Bath opened slowly. Major McGillicuddy walked through the opening. Got something better you'd rather be doing, Doctor? Cuddy asked as the doors closed behind him. Maybe, muttered Bath. I do have classes to teach. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Cuddy nodded at Castro. General? Castro looked up. His plain expression revealed he was tired. The wheelchair, of course, improved his mobility, but there was little that could refresh or rehabilitate General Castro's stature as a premier soldier for his country. It was an honor to lead such an important mission, but memory haunted the general. The failure of the peace process, breakdowns in diplomacy, his own desperate and brutal actions. Would leading one last mission wipe away the sins of the past? Of his past? Are we all set? Castro asked Cuddy in Bath. The Major nodded. I am, Cuddy replied. General, you realize, even if everything goes according to plan, we're facing great difficulty. Dr. Ganiah and Miss Chang have fully informed me, said Castro. Bath slid off the metal examination table. What's he talking about? What difficulty? Funny you should ask, Doctor, said Castro. That's exactly where you come in. These machines Chang calls coffins transmit our consciousness to the robots on the surface. We expect to emerge in a shelter under Liberty Island. There, we will apply a biomechanical pseudoskin giving us the appearance of ordinary human beings. Bath and Cuddy looked at each other. In the past week, they had been briefed and trained. Each remained silent out of respect for their leader, whose memory came and went as a result of being thawed too early. Castro continued, We will locate or build transport to Manhattan Island. Cuddy will take point, and I'll pull up the rear. That leaves you in the middle for observation. The vault door opened behind them. Danielle Devenu sauntered in. She wore a shiny white jumpsuit with concentric circles on its front and broken stripes down the arms and legs. Dr. Bath, Major McGillicuddy, Devenu spoke, excited. Miss Devenu? Cuddy tilted his head slightly. Bath remained unmoved. The project administrator was undeniably beautiful, and Bath couldn't help but be attracted to her. Still, he resented her fashion sense, her striking, well-groomed hair and polished nails. She exuded a sense of elitism Bath found to be in dramatically poor taste. Please, she said to the group, call me Danielle. Devenu turned to Donna Chang. The engineer carefully prepared the machinery. Chang? I'm fine-tuning, the engineer replied, but we will be ready shortly. Good, said Devenu. I assume the good general was bringing you up to speed before I interrupted. General, please continue. Castro cleared his throat. <clears throat> uh, yes, as I was saying, our first venture will be a general recon. Bath, you're not familiar with military protocols. Your responsibility is recording everything we see and hear. 
In the unlikely event that we spot or encounter any survivors, you communicate only after Cuddy and I have cleared and swept the area. If there are survivors, Bath said, it's likely they've taken to scavenging, living as far away from the fallout and destruction as possible. Probably, Ganaya agreed. Your maiden voyage will be twelve hours. Any longer, and we'll have trouble balancing the Greentooth stream for all three of you. We'll have to bring you back one at a time. Good, said Devenu. We're ready then? We are, Chang replied. Wait a minute, Bath interjected. What are we supposed to do for equipment? Supplies? Cuddy will take care of that, Doctor. Castro moved the controls on his wheelchair. He cut a line between Bath and Cuddy, approaching Chang and the row of biomechanical coffins. Don't worry. The general's tone changed slightly. He was more reassuring now. We'll be with you every step. Cuddy nodded. After we recon on Liberty Island, securing weapons and ammo for our safety is a priority. Dr. Bath, you're in that coffin over there. Move. Yeah, yeah, Bath said. He walked hesitantly to the long machine designated for him. Ganiya modulated some controls nearby. I know it's uncomfortable, she said, but the transition will be easier if you let yourself relax. There may be a little disorientation at first. Chang? Preparations complete, Chang replied. Devenu crossed her arms. Good luck, gentlemen. She forced a smile, the last thing any of the three men saw before machines whirred overhead and the tops of the coffins were fixed over them. Uploading, said Chang. We have transference. Transition. Aftermath, a Fire Pit Creative Group production. Based on a story created by Rhett Davis, with characters created by Rhett Davis, Warren Davis, Willem DeGrief, and Cole Hoopengarner. Original script by Warren Davis, with Cole Hoopengarner. Narrated and produced by Cole Hoopengarner, with music by Warren Davis. Links to the sound effects used for Aftermath can be found in the description section of each episode. Aftermath and its story and characters are copyright 2019 by Fire Pit Creative Group.